All right, good morning. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church once again. I'm excited this morning to, to open God's Word, and uh, I'm just going to give you a heads up ahead of time. I'm going to talk fast so you can listen fast, and the reason I'm talking fast is if I talk slow, I might cry. So, uh, <laughs> it's a big, this is a big day for us, and uh, you know, one of the things that bugs me the most about this being my last Sunday is... Uh, this teaching series has 32 parts, and this is week 27. Anyone else would be bothered by something like this? Yeah, anyway, this is week 27 of our Rock of Ages series. Uh, for 27 weeks now, 26 weeks previously, we've been uh, walking with the Apostle Peter. We learned a little bit about his life, his experiences, his formative um, encounters with Jesus, and how he was sent out. Uh, to lead the church. And then we uh, taught all the way through 1 Peter, his first letter to the churches of Asia Minor. And now we're into 2 Peter, and uh, we're reaching the end today. We'll reach the end of the first chapter of uh, 2 Peter. So uh, it reaches a decent conclusion, I guess. I mean, I mean what, what are you going to do, really? But, you know, I think it sticks the landing a little bit. So thank you for the opportunity to... Uh, to uh, share this word with you today. Have you ever found yourself waiting? Have you ever found yourself waiting for morning to come? That's a tough feeling, isn't it? Just waiting in the, in the darkness, in the cold of the pre-dawn hours when everything feels stuck and there's nothing to do but wait as your thoughts spiral and as time crawls by excruciatingly slowly. Have you ever been in that place? My dad used to take me deer hunting. Um, this is before we became vegetarians. <laughs> My dad used to take me deer hunting uh, when I was a teenager. In the darkness, uh, we would walk to the deer stand well before sunrise uh, with frost-rimmed leaves crunching underfoot, uh, with our breath steaming the air, and with our fingertips already going numb. Soon as we walked up the, the little four-wheel drive road on our property down in Gainesville, soon we would separate and I would walk uh, with my flashlight sweeping this way and that. I would walk to the lean-to, which was in the White Oaks, and my dad, he would walk to his stand at Rock Creek. Once I was situated on the ground stand called the lean-to, um, I would begin my least favorite part of deer hunting. Waiting. Waiting. Yes, waiting. Was I waiting for deer? Yes, I was waiting for deer eventually. But at that moment, the worst part was waiting for sunrise. Sitting in the dark, in the middle of the woods. Samuel, I know you know this. That was the worst part for you too. <laughs> I figured I'd pass that on to you. You're welcome. When you were a teenager. <laughs> um, but waiting for sunrise, sitting in the dark forest, sitting there, my, my toes would go numb and my mind would get extremely, excessively jumpy. Every fallen tree would become a dragon. Every bush would conceal a Sasquatch. Every sound was possibly a murderer. <laughs> A murderer sneaking up on me, and every, ref every, every reflecting eye was a wolf or a bear 
I remember a, a sense of low-grade panic, a growing sense of desperation as I'd sit there waiting for the eastern sky to start to brighten. Please, son, come up now. Watching my clock, watch, watching my, the, the clock as the, the, te, the seconds clicked by so slowly. I was waiting for the darkness to dissipate. And faithfully, finally, the sun would rise. Light and warmth would find me. The Sasquatches, the dragons, the wolves, the bears, the serial killers, they would all flee. And all would be set right in the world. Later on in life, uh, in and after college, I had the same sense of that, that same sense of waiting for the dawn. That same sense of waiting for the dawn while uh, winter backpacking. I really enjoyed going on multi-day backpacking trips in the winter time, uh, when the days were short and the nights were very long. Winter backpacking, has anyone been backpacking much? Any recreation majors? I see those hands. Winter backpacking has some advantages. Uh, just a few I'll list here. No bugs, crisp weather, and empty trails. Guarantee you, you're going to have the trail to yourself if you go winter backpacking. But here's the problem. The days are very short. It's dark by like 5 p.m. And it's not morning, it's not daylight again until 8 a.m. or so. So, for you mathematicians in the room, that's like 14 to 15 hours of darkness. Darkness. You've got 14 to 15 hours of darkness to deal with, laying in a very small tent in the confines of a mummy sleeping bag, well rested and awake by 3 a.m. You got other things to do? Not really. You just lay there and notice how bad you smell. I mean, if you've ever eaten a lot of freeze-dried meals and then uh, spent a few nights in a mummy sleeping bag, you are not, uh, not kind to wake up to. There's a lot of smells, a lot of things just coming out of you that smell bad. And they're all very trapped in this little cocoon of a sleeping bag. Uh, I think we'll be announcing a, a backpacking trip coming up here soon if you guys want to jump in. All right. Uh, Anyway, you'd wake up at 3 in the morning. I spent many hours staring at the nylon ceiling of a tent, counting the minutes in painfully slow increments, waiting for sunrise, waiting for daylight. I think we all know the feeling. I mean, my experiences may be different. The specifics are probably different. But you, I think you know the feeling. You know that kind of closed-in, maybe claustrophobic feeling of being stuck, being trapped in the darkness, knowing the light is coming, knowing relief is coming, but it hasn't come yet. And what do you do? How do you wait and how do you wait well? We all know the feeling, waiting for morning, feeling the darkness all around us. We sit with that sense of desperation for the light to come. We want the light to come so badly to warm us and to bring us back to life. We become anxious and we become eager and waiting for the light. And this, this experience seems to be... Uh, a shared sense, part of the human experience, and part of the experience of Peter's readers in Second Peter in the Bible. This collective sense among Peter's readers as they waited, just like us, for Christ's promised return. They too had been promised that Jesus was coming back. Jesus himself had promised, I'll be back for you. If I go away, I'll come back for you. 
And yet, for Peter's readers, he hadn't come back. Here today for us, he hasn't come back yet. So what's taking so long? This is a question that the first century audience was asking. This is a question that you, in your own ways, have probably asked as well. What is taking so long? We didn't expect there to be such a delay between Jesus' ascension and return to the Father uh, and His return to us. Did we miss something? We want to go back and check our notes, right? Did we miss something? Was there a footnote? Um, did we miss something? Did we make Him mad? Maybe you're a middle child and that's your first assumption. It's like, I probably made him mad. Um, just what's going on here? As an apostle and as a pastor of a church, Peter knew that he needed to reassure his flock. He needed to do whatever it, he could, whatever it took to reground them in Jesus' promise. To reground them in their, the, the promise of their present and future salvation in and through Him. Peter takes the opportunity to remind them of the truth and the validity and the confirmation of the things that they believe about Jesus and all the things that Jesus had promised to them. Jesus was not making empty promises. So what does he do? He draws their attention to his own experiences with Jesus as an apostle and to the transfiguration and to the thoroughgoing witness of the Old Testament prophets. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's look today at verses 12 through 21. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 12 through 21. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. For we are not making up clever stories when we told you about... So, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw His majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from the Father, God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay, pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So let's back up to verse 12 through 15. Let's break this down into sections here. Therefore... I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life, so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. As I hear Peter's words here, I think about my own ministry and my own 
time serving in a similar role in the local church. Having been a pastor now for um, over two decades, I've come to realize my role is largely that of reminder-in-chief in the church. My job is to serve as not commander-in-chief, not as president. My job is to be the reminder-in-chief. I have many tasks, but one of the most important is to help you remember the things you already know and help you believe them all the more deeply. So for uh, 13 and a half years now, since we planted a little church on Commercial Street called The Table, I've had the privilege of reminding you. Since 2014, when we became Hope and Anchor Church, I've had the privilege of standing up here and telling you things you already know and helping you believe those things more deeply. It's been a gift. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Rarely do I stand up here, stand before you and say something you've never heard before or considered. Well, actually, I do say things that you probably never wanted to hear before. Yeah, I, Biblical things. <laughs> I've said some things that you probably <laughs> wish you could unhear, but um, rarely, have I stood before, rarely will I stand before you and say something that you've never heard or considered before because there is indeed nothing new under the sun. I'm not inventing this as I go. I am just sharing with you what's been shared before. I am reminder-in-chief. But I stand here week after week beating the gospel drum, recalling to mind all that Jesus taught us and promised us, standing here exhorting you in your faith. Peter here references something Jesus told him about how and when his time would come to an end, which you could read about in John 21, 18 through 19. It's when uh, Jesus is telling Peter, like, hey, a time, you've always kind of gone where you wanted and dressed yourself and done what you wanted, but a time's coming when you won't do those things anymore. You'll be taken captive. You'll be dressed and bound and led to a place you don't want to go. He was telling him about how his days would end. Uh, this sense of his time being short then, it intensified Peter's eagerness to remind and to encourage his people to remember the promises. Hold to the truth. I mean, put yourself in Peter's sandals here. He knows that his time is coming to an end. And he's laboring with this people, the same people that he knows and cares about. And when he's thinking about them, he's seeing their faces. He's like... I've got a limited number of chances, opportunities to remind them of these important things that they must hold on to. Please, imagine the fire that that lit under him. Knowing his days were short, how would he encourage them? How would he uh, reinforce those things in their life? Remember the promises and hold to the truth. Jesus is not slow in keeping his promises. We can rely upon them. Look at verses 16 and 18. 
For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when we received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. No, it's, he's like, hey, this is an experience that happened in front of us. We heard this. This didn't happen in secret. It wasn't something that was given as this like private prophecy. This was something that happened. And we actually saw it and we heard it. We can bear witness to this out in the open. Ridicule us if you want, but I cannot deny what I've seen and I've heard. This is what we saw. Peter draws his reader's attention to two primary sources of authenticity and verification of what he had explained in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Remember? Uh, you notice there at the beginning of verse 12, what's the word there? First word. Therefore, or because of this, whatever your version might say. It says, therefore. It's pointing back to what he said before. So let's revisit 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 then, because I think it's worth revisiting here. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then verse 12, therefore. Therefore, anytime you come across the word therefore in your Bible, you should ask yourself a question. And that question is, what is that there for? It should point you backwards. You say, oh, okay. Why is he saying therefore? He's turning his thought here, but it's based on what he just said. Therefore. There's this transitional word and phrase, therefore. First, he stands upon his apostolic authority as one who had been with Jesus, and more specifically, as one who is present with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration. If you have, uh, flip over to Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. This is the story that Peter is drawing their uh, recollection to. He's like, hey, when I saw these things, which you know about. Uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, uh, 1 through 8. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And the men watched. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, 
who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell, fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. Think about this experience. Peter had seen the honor and the glory of the Father radiating from Jesus. And not only that, was this glory radiating from Jesus, he was there in a conversation with Moses and Elijah. I mean, the setting itself is pretty mind-boggling. What's going on with Jesus? And look, Elijah and Moses. I mean, as Jews, this was, that's like, that's like having, I'm trying to think of someone besides Burt Reynolds. Um, that's like having, uh, help me out. Chuck Norris on the Mount, okay, Chuck Norris, Burt Reynolds, and uh, Kenny Rogers all on the Mount of Transfiguration at the same time. I mean, cripes. That's, that'd be, I mean, think about it. He's like trying to take all this in. He's seeing the honor and glory of the Father radiating from Jesus, meeting with Elijah and Moses, and then he hears God exclaim his approval of his son Jesus. I mean, as if the visual stimuli wouldn't be a little bit over the top, a little bit extra, suddenly he hears with his own ears the voice of the Father say, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Imagine. This is my Son. My dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. So by this time that Peter's writing... A few decades had passed since Jesus' ascension, uh, and skeptics had come in among the flock, among the believers, sowing doubts. Uh, people inside and outside the church had been ridiculing the believers and calling it all a hoax. But Peter wants to make it clear. No one is making up clever stories about this. We cannot deny what Jesus told us, nor can we disbelieve what we all have seen. I stand before you to bear witness to the incarnate God among us. Part of who I am now is based on what I have experienced, what I have seen and what I cannot deny. I, my whole life, bears witness to Jesus come among us. So let's look at verse 19. Because of that experience, then, Peter says, we have, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in our hearts, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So, 
Peter has planted one foot in his apostolic authority and his experiences with Jesus himself and him hearing, seeing those things on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now he pivots. He springboards from his experience with Jesus in the Transfiguration to the inspired witness of the Old Testament prophets who were themselves pointing to Jesus. Jesus becomes then the lens by which we look back upon the testimony of the prophets. Through the, the lens of Christ himself, we look back then on these Old Testament prophets. We look back on Isaiah, on Jeremiah, Amos, even the psalmist to see the promise of Messiah. All those writers, whether conscious of it or not, they were being, as the scriptures tell us, they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit, inspired to write down the very words of God's revelation. Here again, Peter is rejecting accusations that the prophets were only sharing their opinions, or the prophets were only sharing their, their perspectives, uh, or that they were seeking their own ends or agendas. They were often, I mean, just press pause. Go read the prophets. They got very little out of the prophet job description. I mean, the, the experience of a prophet was generally pretty bad. None of these guys were in it for the accolades, the perks, because there weren't any. It was bad news bears. I mean, it was like persecution. It was weird stuff like lay, going around naked, laying in the street, cooking pancakes over poop fires. I mean, it's like... I've, I've often asked God to use me in, in lots of different ways, but I've often said, hey, caveat, I don't want to be a prophet. I don't want to be a prophet. I'll, I'll stick to the I'll pastoral role kind of business. Uh, no poop pancakes for me. So the prophets weren't share, pursuing their own ends or agenda. They were often uh, writing things of which they couldn't yet understand the gravity or the importance they were divinely given words that were pointing into the future. They were faithfully pointing into the future like a signpost. A signpost pointing toward the Messiah, Jesus. I mean, and how much sense would that have made to them? What they're being told is like, I'll just be faithful, I'll write it down. And they never even saw it in their lifetime come to pass. So they're setting up a signpost pointing into the future, which was kind of foggy and kind of dark at the time. It's like, but trust, believe, God's promise will come true. Like a signpost, point, uh, signpost pointing into the future toward Jesus. Their words were shining, even as now, like a lamp shining in a dark place, faithfully proclaiming the promise of future hope and salvation. And just like the warmth of the first rays of sunlight falling on a freezing teenage deer hunting version of me. Sitting in a deer stand or, or laying in a backpacking tent. So the warmth of Christ coming to us illuminates our hearts, it rekindles our spirits, and it raises us over and over again, raises us to new life. You see, we aren't different, and this is something I think I've said every week, but we aren't very different than Peter's first readers. We have a lot in common. We aren't different from Peter's readers in the first century. We have been waiting a long time. I mean, if we talk to some of those first century readers, they'll be like, we've been waiting 25 years. 
And we're like, oh, <laughs> take a seat. <laughs> We've been waiting 2,000 years. We know. We know the feeling. We have a lot in common. We've been waiting a long time, and it's easy to find ourselves wavering, finding ourselves doubting. And also, just like for them, skeptics have come in among us. From both inside and outside the church, there are skeptics that are planting suspicions. There are those who are ridiculing those of us who believe, those of us who are seeking to faithfully wait and believe, to hold fast to those promises. So for you and for me, may we hear Peter's encouragement today. May we be strengthened by the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit we find in the pages of Scripture, especially today on the Feast of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. This is the day when we can all, with our brothers and sisters throughout history and around the world, say, Happy birthday to us! We remember the sending of the Holy Spirit. We trust in the ongoing ministry and work of the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to give us the stamina and endurance and the ability to have faith in believing that what Jesus said is true and He is coming back soon. Amen. May we hold fast to that. Make Christ and His resurrection your primary lens as you look at the world, as you look at your life, as you look at all the things around you, and as you look into the future, as well as the past, but into the future, make Christ and His resurrection your primary lens as you read the Apostles' words, and as we look back over those long years and the many pages of the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. And His words, my friends, His words are trustworthy and true. At the end of Revelation, I, I, I think of, the, uh, of John, the revelator, being told to write down something that stuck with me. Write these things down. All that you've heard, all that you've seen, all that Christ has accomplished, write these things down because they are trustworthy and true. They're trustworthy and true, my friends. And here today, maybe for the first time, the chorus of many voices from ages past announcing and reminding us of the truth and assurance of hope we have in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Yeah. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement we find. God, may we not start flagging in our, in our hope. May we not be giving, uh, giving uh, uh, credence to our doubts. Lord, just like Peter told us in a, a couple weeks ago, the reason you're waiting, the reason it's taking so long for Jesus to return is because you're gracious, you're merciful, you're desiring all people to have every opportunity to come back to you. You're holding open the door of grace. You're holding open the way of salvation for all who will come in. All who will hear the invitation of Christ in His life, His death, and His resurrection, and they will turn. They will repent. They will make Jesus Christ Lord of their lives, and they will give all to Him. Say, where you go, I will lead. Your way will become my way. And while I wait, I'll seek to live more and more like you, Jesus. 
that my life may bear witness to a watching world of all that I have seen and all that I have heard and all that I have experienced with you. Lord, may I be found faithful. May we be found faithful as we wait, knowing that your words are trustworthy and true and that we can rely on your promises. Lord, it feels pretty dark and cold here. We find great comfort in knowing that Jesus is familiar with that. He came and he walked through the darkest darkness and the coldest of cold, sojourning in our bent and broken world, experiencing pain and loss and separation so that we might be brought back to you by faith in him. So God, I pray that to whatever degree possible today, by the work of your Holy Spirit, may each of us respond with faith, a deepening faith in Jesus, but also in his promises. And Lord, would you come back for us soon? It's so easy to grow weary. Jesus, would you come back soon? Lord, we need you. Lord, come quickly. We're going to worship a bit more. We're going to, I think, uh, sing. A, uh, we have one more song to worship uh, Jesus with together. But uh, we're going to take a moment or two just to sit and be with the Lord. Confess your doubts. Confess your frailty and your fickleness. Just say, God, help me believe. Lord, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. I want to hold fast. I want to believe who you are, but I want to believe what you said. Make my life a living witness to what I've seen, what I've heard, but what I believe, too. And may we hold fast, because daylight is coming. So hang in there, friends, and make the most of this opportunity.